The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. From what we've been able to learn, this happened eight months ago. Both sides have been decimated. There are no major cities left. Millions are dead. Your faith was going to bring peace. Here it is. Good morning, London. It is Thursday, March 21st, 2013. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we'll be with you from now until noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, from color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. 519-661-3600, the number to reach us if you want to join in on the conversation today. Or you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, and we'll certainly look at your comments and comment on them ourselves, or follow through on your suggestions if you have any suggestions of anything you'd like to see us discussed, have us discussed on the show in the future. Today on the show, some of the themes we'll be looking at are... The whole issue of Islam versus Islamism, immigration regarding the Islamic countries, and of course, we're approaching the 10th anniversary of Iraq, isn't that right, Robert? Uh, we've already passed it. Yeah, well, I mean, to, we're, I mean, there's a lot of discussion on that right now. What have we accomplished after that? Exactly. Yeah, Ten years right. later, how's it going over right. in Iraq? Now, we have a stranger sitting here beside us. Maybe you might want to <laughs> introduce him. Well, he's no stranger to this show, that's for sure. Professor Salim Mansour is yeah. in studio with us. He's an associate professor of political science here at the University of Western Ontario and author of Delectable Lie, a liberal repudiation of multiculturalism. Welcome again, Salim. Thank you, Robert. And Bob? Yes. Getting to be a familiar place for you to hang out, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I understand you're suffering from a severe cold, so... Um, I hope that you can muddle through in the next hour. So, Salim, why don't you tell us about your interest in the 10th anniversary of the Iraq War? What, what's, what's been accomplished? Has it been successful? Was it worth it? A lot of questions roll into one, Rob. Mm. Rob but <laughs> oh, that's for sure. Um, I'm reminded of a, uh, of a famous episode or, uh, with, with uh, the Prime Minister of China, uh, Communist China, Chao Enlai, when he was visiting for the first time Paris in the 50s. <coughs> and in a press conference, he was asked uh, to comment on what he thought about the French Revolution. And uh, uh, Premier Chao Enlai responded, it is too soon to tell. <laughs> <laughs> too so I think, I think uh, uh, 10 years or a decade is too soon to tell uh, what we are to make of uh, regime change in Iraq war. I just uh, read in a the A lot paper. of things happened. Oh, yes, of course. And I read in the paper just <coughs> yesterday of an, more explosions and bombings. Uh, there was tens of people killed just yesterday, and the fighting is usually between Sunni and Shia Muslims. Is that what's going on over there, the internal strife? Yes, I think that's part of it. That's not the whole of it, but it's part of it. On well, the Kurds, of course. Uh, but, but, but when you say it's too soon to tell, aren't you, in a way, saying that maybe... At least you can't say it has been a total disaster, or you're not saying it has been a total success. So if it's too soon to tell, are we still on some kind of line, or, or is there still a, a direction that we can go in, um, or are certain things already put behind us, if you know what I mean? 
Well, it is too soon to tell in either case, uh, Bob. Mm. I mean, those people who are adamant in saying, as so many of the North American commentators, especially those on the center-left, say that this was a disaster, a horrendous disaster, a uh, terrible mistake on the part of the American administration, George Bush, etc. And some would even go as far as saying that it was criminal. Uh, to them, it is too, too, too soon to tell, just as those who would try to paint that this was a grand success. It's too soon to tell. What I mean by too soon to tell is that the Iraq war unleashed a whole new paradigm, a framework of politics in the Middle East. Um, I would describe it as follows. <coughs> uh, the Iraq war, a regime change, pulled the scab on the wound of the Middle East and all the pus that the scab had contained not only decades, but centuries, mm. was opened up. And it yeah. is coming out. And some people say you should not deal with scabs, you should not un un undo the wounds. Uh, and my response is precisely it is dealing with scab, undoing the wounds, and letting the pus out is the way of, you know, cleaning the situation, of, of bringing about hopefully the changes that you want to see happen. That's all very um, symbolic and everything, but in real terms, doesn't that all translate into bombings, more life lost, more war? Um? Yeah, it, 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 all of that were happening before the Iraq war. I mean, this was, this was a place, I mean, how far do we want to go back? Uh, we're talking about particularly Saddam Hussein regime, but if you want to go stretch it back, this was part of the history of the Middle East. Nothing had particularly change in that sense from then to now the bombing is going on where fights are taking place in Syria in North Africa I guess the, the intensity has taken place but a number of things also have happened I mean what was unleashed as a result of the regime change that is getting rid of the worst tyrant and 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 killer in the in in, in that part of the world has led to one can draw a connection with the so-called Arab Spring, the whole upheaval that has taken place. Um, good and bad, I mean, that's part of the mixed record, but you've seen the collapse and fall of uh, regimes that would have been there and would have continued to be there, but for what happened in Iraq. I mean, you're talking about 40-year regime of Hosni Mubarak in Egypt. Good or bad, but it's changed. I mean, there's a whole new ball game out there, and that's what's happening with Syria. I guess it's the fact that we had an expectation under Bush in the United States and the coalition of the willing, so-called, for a peace in Iraq and the Middle East. And the, the, the intent was to impose democracy and freedom on this country that has never seen it, never seen democracy, never seen freedom. And can freedom be imposed upon a people who don't understand it and don't even want it? You know, one of these are very good questions, Robert, um, but if, if you're going to analyze the Iraq war, we have to then break it up. Um, the, at least, at minimum, there are two aspects to it. One is the war that began 10 years ago today, that was the regime change. It was based upon, again, it is a disputed issue, but from my perspective, it was based upon UN resolutions. Uh, it was based upon a consensus that this regime of Saddam Hussein was, for all sorts of reasons, no longer acceptable. 
and it had to go. It was given a chance. It was given all the relevant signal that it should reform, it should live up to its international obligation that happened after the Kuwait War of 1991, and Saddam refused to comply. And so the question then becomes, is United Nations simply a talking shop, or is this resolution, particularly Security Council resolution under Chapter 7, and one has to then explore and understand what it means. Are these resolutions amount to something? Remember, the League of Nations had collapsed because the League failed to deal with the difficulties that arose in the 1930s with with Italy, with Germany, with the invasion of Abyssinia and so on. And and League became a talking shop. And that is exactly what the United Nations was becoming. And in some ways it has become. So there was in, in, in uh, the lead up to the war uh, that began 10 years ago, a consensus. People have forgotten that today. Mm-hmm. That there was... And general agreement, for instance, in the United States, it was it predated the coming of George Bush into office in 2000. That there was resolutions and that were passed overwhelmingly with Democratic and Republican support. For instance, the Iraqi Liberation Act of 1997-98 under Clinton was passed by the Senate with 97 votes. That included the votes of people like now the Secretary of State John Kerry, that is to liberate Iraq, that is regime change. So obviously it's not correct to call this Bush's blunder. Oh, absolutely not. This is a partisan view. This is an ideological view. People not only forget, but people deliberately want to, you know, eschew and, and, and project their own argument. I, I, I was going to suggest that when you said we forget our history, sometimes I think it's really an issue of we either want to deny it or... Some people aren't even told the history. They don't know it. Well, that that, that is partly yeah. true, but the people who engage in voicing, I mean, I, mean, I can run by many number of names, you know, starting mm-hmm. with our former Prime Minister Jean Chrétien, they should know better, but they, they're the ones who are basically distorting the facts. So there was a consensus. There was a consensus about the question of uh, uh, weapons of mass destruction. Sure. Saddam Hussein had used chemical and biological weapons against his own population. And the uh, Kurds in the yeah, north, yeah. The Kurds, mm-hmm. you know, he had used it. He had used it during the Iran-Iraq war. So it was quite reasonable to suspect that he had them. Absolutely, and he boasted about it, you know, and he did not comply with the United Nations resolution to open up his uh, uh, administration to check it out and to give him a clear bill, bill of health. Then, then that uh, leads that me to the question he, again. Did, uh, was all everything going on in the, in the Mideast, were they all really inviting the U.S.? It's almost like we want the U.S. here to be a player in this game for some reason. And, you know, well, I'm still... Well, well, yes and no. There are regimes in the Middle East. I mean, for instance, in the 1991, the first, mm-hmm. the Gulf War, 1991, right. for the liberation of Iraq, Saddam Hussein had invaded and occupied Iraq, and there was a threat and a fear, and a genuine threat and fear that Saddam army could go all the way down into Saudi Arabia, just, just, just crossing the border. And there was a consensus in the Middle East that, you know, without the American support, there, there would not be the liberation of uh, Kuwait. And that, that war was, again, a United Nations war. It was a United Nations resolution. Uh, all the timeline was given for Saddam Hussein to comply with it so that there wouldn't be a war. He refused, and then the military action was taken. The regrets, if there is any regrets, is that George Bush Sr. didn't send the army at that time all the way to Baghdad and and clean out the regime at that point in time. 
And for the next 12 years, then, we had the record of Saddam Hussein. Shades of South Korea. We're still fighting that war today. In because they, um, they weren't allowed to go into the north. In, in some ways, yes. In mm. some ways... You Another know, the, United Nations action. The, the point that you're making, Robert, is a very interesting point, that since the end of Second World War, there has been no war that has been fought in which the Western powers have been engaged in that came to a decisive conclusion. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the problems continue to fester and remain and kept coming back. Sounds like we've forgotten how to fight a war. We have forgotten how to fight a war and how to make a definitive end about it, you know. Well, you know, there's, uh, there's been a, a, um, a consequence of the war in Iraq, and this is going to be a segue into our next topic, which is immigration. And that is that there have been a number of refugees, either legitimate or illegitimate, uh, into the West. In the United States, um, Tennessee, Nashville, Tennessee, is, is what the Clinton termed a gateway community for Iraqi refugees. And now they're having a lot of problems in Nashville with uh, an increase in the Muslim population uh, trying to impose laws down there which are anathema to the freedom-loving Tennesseans. In Canada, we see uh, homegrown terrorists because of uh, certain imams, especially in Toronto. Uh, in, in England, you have uh, the Tower Hamlets, which is a no-go zone for police and, and non-Muslims alike. Uh, in, in Denmark, you have, uh, I think it's 50% of the population of their major city uh, Muslim, and with the intent of creating a Sharia law uh, state there. Let's get into the topic of immigration and Muslims in the West. The pointed question is, is Islam compatible with Western democracy, Western freedom? Again, you load a lot of things into your question, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> Most well, of all, preamble. <laughs> in, two, in five words or less, please. Yes, <laughs> yes or no. <laughs> is Islam compatible with the West, and what about immigration? Well, first, is, is Islam compatible with the West? Uh, my five-word answer would be, the West is compatible with everything, given multiculturalism, so why shouldn't <laughs> Islam be compatible with it, you know? Uh, yeah, why shouldn't cannibalism be compatible with well, the West? I mean, given the fact that the West now, I <laughs> mean, me and our Supreme right Court has made the ruling about it. Let me hold you right there, Salim, because <laughs> multiculturalism is not compatible with Western values. It is a new thing, and you even talk about this in your book. Multiculturalism is a new phenomenon in, in our society. It used to be a melting pot, the West, where people would come and become American, become Canadian, become English. But now they're coming over to our countries and they're staying, they're, they're, keen, they're bringing their own laws and cultures with them and keeping them. Yeah, but I mean, on, on a serious basis, yes, multiculturalism is a new phenomenon in the West, but multi West takes multiculturalism seriously. And if the West is going to identify itself as, as multicultural and, and based on multicultural values as opposed to what I, in my book, have talked about, liberal democracy, then we have to take seriously what West is compatible with or with not. And so in that sense, I was saying it's not a facetious argument. I mean, mm -hmm. multiculturalism makes West compatible with just about everything that passes. Um, <clears throat> The, the 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 issue that uh, you raise is a genuinely uh, a, a, a issue of great concern. Uh, what is happening to the West by uh, arguments and policies and decision that the leaders in the West, the intellectuals in the West, uh, um, are, are making for themselves? 
uh, here is the connection I would draw to your question on immigration. I mean, there has been immigration uh, to the West for all sorts of reasons. There are push factors and pull factors, economic opportunities, disasters, people moving for all sorts of reasons throughout history. And so Muslims are no exception to that. But then comes, as you point out, the question about the Iraq war and what's happening in the mm. Middle East and, and, and the turbulent times or situations from where people are escaping. So the, immediately the question then follows, the people who are refugees or, or, or migrating from places like war-torn Iraq or war-torn Syria or escaping uh, the situation that they don't want to live under, that is the Islamist regimes in that part of the world, why is it when they arrive over here that the governments over here, the people over here, then want to cater to the very same similar cultural values, institutional values from where these people have escaped. Daniel, I mean, you, you pointed out Tennessee. Why is the government in Tennessee, the state government in Tennessee, trying to make it much more comfortable for the Islamists as opposed to the Muslims who are trying to run away from the Islamists? Exactly. And Daniel Pipes, who's an expert on uh, Islam in the Middle East, has quoted has been quoted as saying, it's, it's distressing to see how non-Muslim individuals and institutions, particularly those on the left, indulge Islamist behavior, not not Muslim behavior, but Islamist behavior. In other words, the terrorists, the Sharia supporters, they're indulging it. They're absolutely. keeping it alive. They're allowing it to happen. Uh, absolutely. So this is this this is the paradox that we are dealing with because. Uh, I would argue, I mean, you are, you are talking not with some fictitious person here, you are talking with a Muslim. Myself, I'm t I mean, mm -hmm. and, and you know, mm -hmm. I completely repudiate the Islamists, and I'm appalled that our political leaders, political parties, and intellectual uh, opinion makers are out to indulge the Islamists. And, 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 and that is runs well, against the values that most Muslims who want to accommodate themselves to the Western values are being marginalized. Well, maybe this is a good time to take our first break and see what Salim has to say about what he's about to hear here. Um, the first person we're going to hear from is Geert Wilders being interviewed by Christine Williams back in 2011. And I guess he's calling for a complete... Um, Closed shop on immigration. That's how it came across to me, didn't it, Robert? Um, not from, entirely, from, but you know, pretty much. And then on the other side, we're going to hear another um, excerpt from uh, Bill Mayer's uh, "Politically Incorrect" that was taped only a week at, or a about a month, sorry, after 9/11, back in 2001. And he is with a group of Islamic students who are discussing the Koran and the history of Muhammad, and I thought, if you hear this, I, I, I know in talking to you, I don't know that you'll agree with everything you're going to hear now, so I'll be curious to hear what Salim has to say about what we're going to hear right now. We'll be back right after this. You advocate ending immigration from Muslim countries. Tell us why. Well, let me first say that I make a distinction between um, the people and the ideology. I have nothing against Muslims. I have nothing against people. The majority of the Muslims in our free societies, whether it's Canada, the Netherlands, or other parts of the free world, are law-abiding people who want to a good family life, a good education for their children. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, unfortunately, the Islamic culture is not um, equal to our culture. The biggest disease in the free world today is called multiculturalism of cultural relativism. The concept 
um, that was put into our head by often leftist and liberal politicians who made us believe that all cultures are equal. Well, they are not. The culture that we share, that is based on Christianity, on Judaism, and humanism, is superior to the Islamic culture. And you're not a racist or xenophobe to say that. You're just a proud person who's stating some facts. So if you don't stop the mass immigration from Islamic countries, even though the people are not extreme, you will get an enormous influx of an ideology of hate. Um, because not, never forget, the Islam has one goal, and that is to submit, whether by persuasion um, or by uh, force and violence. So I want a stop, a full stop, of the immigration from Islamic countries um, in order to stop the Islamization of our societies. These are Americans, as are six million of your fellow Muslims. And, uh, And I might ask you, do you consider yourself American before Muslim or Muslim before American? I, I figure it's intertwined. And the reason why is because the Quran supports America. The Quran it describes the ideal society. It says it's one with good economy. It's one where people care about each other. We give charity. It's a pro-capitalist society. I define, Rotten I define, things to say about Jews and unbelievers, my friend. Well, Bill, Bill but Remember, I've got problems with the Quran you're reading because personally, if you're going to read the Quran, you need to be an Arabic scholar because Arabic is written a lot like Thomas Jefferson's handwriting in the Constitution. Kill the unbelievers is kill the unbelievers no matter how you translate. I'm sorry. That's in the Torah Bible as well. You can say that it's Islamic. And you can kill the unbelievers. The Crusades, yes. The Crusades happened way after the Bible. I'll quote you Exodus 21:17. And whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. So the Bible has passages as well too. That's Exodus 21:17. So you can, my point, Bill, is that you can take any religious scripture, be it the Tao Te Ching, be it the Quran, be it any scripture, and you can take one or two verses, and out of a laziness to fail to understand right. the rest of the no. doctrine, say, you know what, this is a book that, that justifies terror. Okay. The important, the important, the important thing, Bill, is to understand that Islam is not a monolith. Its beauty no, but is the fact all that all religions are not the same, cultures. and they're not based on the same. That is based on a warrior religion. I mean, a this warrior was warrior religion. How? Islam is a warrior religion? Of he didn't... Muhammad didn't was a businessman, Bill. Yeah, Muhammad was a businessman. Muhammad was a merchant. A well, his followers in one century conquered most of the known world. Jesus was not that kind of a... Just he did a good job doesn't mean you should blame well, him for it. We've had conquerors of every religion. Well, we threw a lot at you there. <laughs> Salim, any thoughts on what you heard there? Anything particular stick out? That well, the, the first segment that you ran mm -hmm. to... Who was it? Geet that Lander? was Geert Wilders. Okay, I mean... I almost said similar things recently at the... I know he uh, sounded a lot like you, so I was wondering uh, <laughs> how, how you might differ from what he had to say. Well, I mean, if there is, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a vast subject that we would enter. We don't have time. The well, difference well, is Robert that was right, of course. Geet, Geet, Geet Wilders is not a theologian, and I don't accept his uh, views about Islam. Uh, the problem, look, the problem is, is that there was a time in human history when religion was the basis of politics. Religion and politics were not separated, you know. In fact, you know, politics was understood in religious terms. Um, 
I think that's still and, very and, true today. And, well, that's what I said. There yeah. was a period in time in history. Oh, sorry. If you, if you hear I me I thought you meant it was well. over. <laughs> so history is an ongoing work in progress. Sure. You know, it has taken us, what, some 500 years to arrive at where the West is today in the process of separating religion and politics. And we might say we have not fully succeeded in some parts of the world, but it has taken 500 years and still of work in progress, you know. This is a work in progress about individual freedom and group identity, and we've had a Supreme Court bend backwards to now defend group identity as opposed to individual freedom, you know, and we can go on and on. Mm -hmm. So these are highly... complex issues. Religion has been a political issue. The struggle that is going on, and I've been writing about this and speaking about this, the struggle that is going on, the wars that are going on right now in the Muslim world, in the Middle East, in North Africa, is the wars that are a replay of what went on in Europe if you want to go back into history. What were the Hundred Years' War? What were the Thirty Years' War? What were the wars of the Reformation and Counter-Reformation? In fact, for people that whom you try to reach, if they want to understand history, they can look at the picture that is now being played out in real time, given our technology and the world that we live, beamed into their home, and then try to imagine what was the situation, say, in 1600s. Mm-hmm. You know, history is repeating itself. There's a constant in, in different places because history uh, it it has different uh, in in different spots in different places in different geography. There are unequal development. There are different times and different situations. Can I ask? And you Islam is going through the very process that Europe went through. I'd like to ask you a question <coughs> about what we just heard in one of those clips, and that is one of those students said, "You have to be a Islamic scholar." to be able to read and understand the Quran. No, it sounds as if you cannot even be a Muslim then, because how many Islamic no, scholars are there? No, no. I mean, the, I mean again, look, uh, uh, Robert, I mean, one of the big problems that we are faced with, and this is where, the, where you have to make distinction between polemics and serious discussion. The polemicist always takes the worst argument of the opponent to caricature the argument. You know, you're a man of science. You don't take the worst argument. You take the best argument if you have to find the weakness in the argument, not the worst argument. So, so a serious... Yeah. So these, these arguments, these are political debates. You know, this guy who is taking... He's an apologist. He's being apologetical. His identity is involved in it. And he's trying to get away in a 20-second time frame of discussion that we are having. That you know, you don't know Arabic, so how can you make a judgment because you haven't read the Quran in Arabic? I you hear know? that argument so, all But the you time, haven't yes. re- read Bible in Greek. How can you make an argument, you know, about the Bible? Yes. You know? So well, I, I disagree with that. I, I don't think you have to have read them in total detail to, ha- to, to come to conclusions of about not. them. Of course not. Um, you know, I, I, I heard the Ar- Ar- Arabic students saying that, you know, er- everyone has a different view. I- I- um, Islam is not a monolithic religion. Mm-hmm. So how can anyone argue that it's one way or the other? One side says, well, the Koran supports capitalism in America. The other side says, no, it wants to do away with them. These are different views of, of the same religion. And as Robert and I were discussing in previous conversations many times when it comes to Islam, we think that Islam is approaching the same issue that Christianity has had for ages, and that is that there is no one Islam. And is, wouldn't it be more proper to say that Islam is many different religions? And... and um, not just this one monolithic thing, and maybe when one says, well, this is what I believe, and this is what I believe, one doesn't negate the other. It's just that they have two different religions, but we're calling them both Islam. Is, 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 is that 
Am I hitting on anything here or am I way off target? You, you, you're hitting upon the oldest problem of man and perception. You see a mountain, you know, in a mist and you see a mountain on a clear day and you see a mountain in a different light and it's the same mountain peak but it takes on different color, different shapes, different parts are exposed and different parts are hidden. You know, so uh, understanding of a reality, understanding of, in this case, a metaf metaphysical truth, will have different understanding and different perception. And this is as true about any metaphysics, Judaism, Christianity, Hinduism, you know, at what stage a Muslim is, what is his understanding, what background he's coming from, what is his education, what he is defending. Well, if it's a metaphysical truth, it would have to... It would have to comply with reality somewhere. But that's it? what it is. I mean, well, your reality will not be the same reality as somebody, say, in Sahara Desert in North Africa. And you know, Salim. So we, 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 we confuse all of that. And that's what I'm saying. You know, you, we end up as in, 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 in polemics rather than a serious discussion because we take the weakest argument and we caricature it. Look, the only thing about Islam that it, one will have just about every Muslim agreeing. Mm -hmm. The barest thing is that there is one God. That's monotheism. Well, then you can be a Christian and admit the same Precisely. thing. Precisely. And Islam doesn't claim, I mean, the Quran doesn't claim that Islam is a new religion. It is a continuation of the Abrahamic faith. Mm -hmm. It is what then we make of that understanding. That's where the theologians get in. That's where the philosophers get in. That's where the politicians get in. They take a handle, parts of it or the whole of it and they bend it to We've, their own purpose. We're up against the clock here but I do yes. want to address one thing that I, I see you've written here in an article from last fall. You say that Muhammad fought back his enemies and prevailed. He stood out among his people as leader, warrior and statesman. He destroyed the idols of Mecca, ended idol worship and established by force the word of God among Arabs that was denied when he preached peacefully. How can we uh, distinguish between Islam and Islamism when even a person of a peaceful nature like yourself, a spiritual man, can go back to Muhammad and say, yes, he used violence, he was a warrior. If, if, if the, if the, yeah, man, the main man himself no, but was again, a man again, of violence... What is, what is the purpose of your question? I mean, I was giving a historical discussion. Well, no, matter. it's just that we're up against the clock and I want to get to this, to this yeah, but uh, again, the, the fact you're up against the clock doesn't mean that you pose a question where you don't give me the time. <laughs> so there you are in, engaging in polemics. So it's yes or no. clear <laughs> evidence of your polemics. You know, you suit a question for which there is no time to answer. Okay. Well, we still have half hour. <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's approach it again at the, um, after we come back from a couple of breaks. And the question I want to pose to you is, how do you distinguish between Islam and Islamism, one a religion of peace, the other a religion of violence, when the central character, the man who created the religion himself, was mm -hmm. a man of violence and a warrior by your own words? Mm -hmm. So we'll be back right after these breaks. Excuse me, now that your family is gone, would you mind if we turn on the TV? Oh, hey, I didn't know anyone was here. I, uh, I was just kidding when I told my family I loved them. I am Mahmoud. I'm Peter. You know, i never seen a hat like that before, so I'm very scared of it. No, this is just a tagia. It's a traditional Muslim prayer cap. Oh. Hey, you know who'd look funny wearing one of those? The Monopoly guy. <laughs> Correct. Go directly to jail and convert to Islam. Because <laughs> they do that. <laughs> yes, that is what I intended. <laughs> hey, you're all right, Mahmoud. You too, Peter. So, uh, what do you want to watch? 
Well, if you turn on channel 14, we can probably catch the end of Muslim Looney Tunes. As a pig, I am very dirty and should not be touched by humans. My position on book burning and censorship is a, it's a bad idea. The antidote to bad speech is more speech, more give and take. The truth will out. So I, I, I didn't particularly care for it, but it, it's protected speech. And the whole idea in America of free press and freedom of speech is to protect all ideas, not just the ones that we like, because who decides what's, what's good and what's forbidden? Um, so uh, I didn't like the idea, but it's protected speech. And again, this idea, the West adopts this idea of the Sharia. Do not insult Islam. Do not defame Islam. Because if there was a guy burning a Bible, nobody cares. They burn flags, nobody cares. Burn a page of a Quran. <gasps> not the Quran. No, uh, excuse me, I don't know who died and made that the Holy Grail. Should there be limits to free speech, Paul? Uh, there are certainly limits to speech we recognize, defamation, and the reason we do things like defamation and fraud is simply for making sure that at no time does anyone obtain their life, your life, your liberty, or your property, you know, take your life, your liberty, or your property, without your consent by way of lying to you. But in terms of religious texts, burning them, and etc., she's absolutely right. Uh, you must remain free to do something like burn the Koran, and in fact, again, it's the only way sometimes to open up the debate is to not revere what someone else is uh, holding. The right to be offensive, yeah. Hussein. I would, I would disagree with that. Uh, my, my position is often, though, that the freedom of expression should be universal. So that, so we can't have, these freedoms are allowed for these people because they have this character, characterization. Well, for these people, they're not allowed to say it because, because of something, uh, their race, their religion, their ethnicity, whatever reason. That type of bigotry is what I'm against, but I agree. I think I agree with her in, in the fact that uh, the antidote to, to lessening or to have these type of debates is to have more expression, more debates, more opportunities to exchange ideas and dialogue, and we all are more robust as a result. Yeah, and you know, and these hate speech codes that are enforced not only in Canada, but in, right across the world, and Denmark right now, we're seeing the case of Lars Hedegaard, for example, um, you, you end up with a code that always is enforced in favor of one, but not, or sorry, against one, but not against and we're all. I'm going to have to close on that note. I'd like to thank you both so thank much you. for joining me today. Thank you. You're listening to Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, and in the studio today we're joined with Salim Mansour, Associate Professor of Political Science here at the University of Western Ontario. And before we went to break, I asked Salim a huge question, which we had a great discussion during the break over, and that was basically, since Muhammad the man who created the religion himself was a warrior. Is it possible to tease out the violent aspects of the religion from the man and, and come to a, um, two interpretations of the religion, one a peaceful one, one a Sharia one, or a violent one? You, you, you think that there is a way to do that? You live it yourself. You're a peaceful uh, Muslim. You identify Muslims who are Islamists, who want to impose their will on others. Um, isn't that the crux of the question? How do you tease out the violence from the religion? 
to come to these two conclusions? Well, it is the crux of the question, and right in front of your eyes, uh, uh, Robert, this uh, struggle is going on. This struggle has a long history, but it's going on right now in places like Bangladesh, which, again, the media doesn't want to talk about it, you know. There's a there's a huge struggle taking place. Um, millions of people are out on the street, young people are out on the street who are fighting the Islamists. The Islamists are violent and a minority, uh, and they have used violence to silence the majority, to intimidate the majority. But the majority is now stepping back, and uh, this the struggle that is taking place is basically taking place in the Muslim world. It's not taking place in the streets of London or in Toronto, you know, people are dying and, and the largest amount of people who are dying are Muslim. Mm-hmm. And you ask yourself the question, why? If every Muslim agreed with what is represented as the Islamist viewpoint, then there wouldn't be any problem, would there be? So the struggle is precisely very hard. The Islamists want to say that their version or their understanding, even as they refer to the Prophet, as their example, is the only authentic one, is not only being questioned, it has been in many cases repudiated. You saw how the people in Timbuktu, far away in a remote place, except for the recent events, nobody would have sent a cameraman over there, the people were dancing, the women were out, you know, embracing and celebrating. Well, they're liberators, yeah. The arrival of, you know. The French, right, yes. Exactly. So the, the, one of the great problems in the post-9-11 world is the narrative has been taken up by the Islamists and then the polemicists in the Western world who take the Islamist view as the only, quote-unquote, authentic view or whatever they understand as Islam. See, that's the problem is that while I agree with you that it is a problem, an internal problem for Muslims to define the religion and to out the Islamists. The West, me, Bob, our, our friends and neighbors, are thrown into this conflict when we're asked to go to war over there or when we're asked to have huge amounts of immigration from people who do not even like the West. So, in, in a sense, uh, we're involved in this uh, question as well. Well, I am involved in it. I am part of the West. I You've mean, done I, do, you, do you consider me not as West? Celine, you have done more to advance the cause of freedom and the values of the West. You and people like Dr. Zudi Jasser, Rahil Raza, Muslims like you have done more for freedom in this country than a lot of non-Muslims. Yeah, but we have not been able to elect government that support our viewpoint. <laughs> I go to the parliament in Ottawa and say oh, precisely the club, what, yes. what, what one of... So, I mean, that, that is a different narrative that we are engaged and right, yes. Bob? I mean, that's the question of what is the state of our democracy yes. and where is the disconnect between our political leaders, political parties, opinion makers, and what is the state of our education and so on and so forth. So that's a different... The issue that you began with is the question about asking about Islam and Islamism. And I, and, and, and I am pointing out to you, and, and since you have been reading me, that this is a huge historical struggle that is taking place. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't choose the time to be born in the midst of the well, struggle, neither there, there, did you. We're just living in the context of that time. That's, yes. Yeah. You know, you're, you're referring to this historical struggle and a struggle between differing people. Yeah. But when I read articles like this, reclaiming the right to be a true jihadist, a struggle... I am informed by the writers that this is constantly a personal struggle, that it is a struggle within the individual. And when I heard Robert's question to you about how do you reconcile the history of Muhammad with your personal 
beliefs today. I think that is what you were referring to, weren't you? Or, exactly, yes. And, and that is what we're kind of curious about. How does the Muslim who is peaceful, who has reconciled this, on what basis does he reconcile that? How does that work? A lot of us don't understand that. Well, I, I don't fully understand how or, or, or what your question means, but well, to it, to an outsider uh, like us, perhaps we see a person who has created a, a movement. His history is one of violence, at least as reported in history. Okay, and yet his followers are not do not pre- prescribe to that violence. No, at least a, 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 I, I would even say a majority of them. Look, how how I mean, is that reconciled philosophically? Not never mind the the history of it. Well, philosophically, take the question of yourself or the West. Mm. Is, you are part of a stream of time. It is not simply an isolated moment. So you are part of a stream of time. Yeah, but I'm still capable of, of thinking. And you read and you study and you mm-hmm. reflect and you come to your own individual conclusion and then there's a larger conclusion outside of it in which with people engage. And that, in a sense, is exactly what is happening just about in every culture, in every society, because we are faced with, the world is faced with, and no one is outside of it, that is the yin and yang between modernity, the modern world, the modern science, modern philosophy, modern technology, and and traditional world that is trying to make the transition from the pre-modern structures of thought, existence, application into the modern world. And that is the human story, that is the human narrative. Now, the, 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 the individual that you are reading who's talking about a personal struggle, yes, it is at, at a very personal level. A woman's life, a man's life is at a very personal level. But that individual is also part of a society. It's part of a larger context. And so that personal struggle then becomes part of the larger struggle beyond that individual person. And this is what is happening in that part of the world, just as it happened in the West. Luther was a personal struggle, and then it became the struggle of Reformation. But what Luther did was end up calling his religion, maybe not him personally, something other than the religion he broke away from. He was no longer a Roman Catholic. He became Protestant. No, I, if my my reading of it is he didn't become Protestant, he remained <laughs> true. It is he yes. he condemned the Catholics for betraying well, the church, but it true, was yes. his followers who yes. had to break. So I mean, you know, it is, so it's complex. Perhaps we should have different words to describe different aspects of Islam. For example, you call yourself Muslim, and yet an Osama bin Laden yeah. would call himself Muslim. And people are going to paint you with the same brush that they would paint an Osama bin Laden. And, and that happens, and I, and I don't have a beef against that, except that I want to be heard for what I stand for, mm-hmm. right? It is not what you say, it is what you do. You know, that's what, what ultimately matters. It is the conduct that matters rather than what is the self-assertion in, in terms of your own thought, you know. I might think anything, you know, or, or imagine anything, but it's my action that speaks, you know, whether it is criminal action or legal action and so on and so forth. So, yes, I mean, there is a great diversity within the Muslim world, just as there is outside of the Muslim but world. But you see my dilemma, my problem is in trying to identify those Muslims who are peaceful, versus those who but, are violent. But Robert, you use I don't the words Islam the and Islamist. But I don't see what is your, your the problem because you're sitting and talking with me and there are mm-hmm. many people like me around, you know. Oh, and, and so then you're getting a particular view of 
what you are struggling with, that is the question about Islam from us. And then you can read Osama bin Laden mm -hmm. and their supporter. And then you can see how far and apart we are from oh, each yes, other. Of course. And then you can understand what the conflict is all about. And yet you use the same word to describe uh, yourself. I see, the, the conflict yeah. here, I see, is all about definitions. And everybody, yes, including yes. Muslims and Christians and everybody, uses, different, uses the same word for a hundred different concepts. And as long as you're doing that, we will be at war forever and ever and ever and ever. Because until we think straight, I, I don't see how you can separate your thought from your action. I don't see how you can say, well, it doesn't matter what I think, but, you know, as long as I act okay, that's that's fine. Well, how can you act okay if you aren't thinking okay? Excuse me, Bob. I will be politically very incorrect okay, here. Go. I will be political. I think that's the most absurd statement I've heard, that you cannot dif differentiate between action and thought. Look, uh, those of in us... In terms was, of yourself, in terms of I, the, a, a single I, individual. In terms of myself, because the the thoughts and the action, I want democracy. I want liberal democracy. The struggle that is going on, for instance, in Egypt, we saw the overthrow of uh, uh, Hosni Mubarak. We saw the masses out in the street. We saw the result. We saw the outcome. We assumed that the people over in Egypt wanted the outcome. And then a few months later, a few weeks later, we see the people are back demonstrating against it. So they saw the result that the people who took power, they, in the name of democracy, they took power, but they are not in any way supporter of democracy. You know, they wanted to turn the clock back to Sharia state. And so there are a whole lot of people, whatever the number is, they're out demonstrating, they're out fighting, they're out struggling. Because for them, democracy means something closer to what you understand as democracy than what the people who took power understand democracy and want to deny it. So it is not simply a matter of definition, it is a matter of actual conduct. A democratic regime would be respectful of minorities. A democratic regime would be respectful of free speech, of religion, things that we value. A democratic regime is not going to allow gender, you know, discrimination. We expect that. We see whether it is in India, whether we see whether the struggle is in Egypt, in Pakistan, in Bangladesh, and we can say, yeah, we support these people, we associate with these people, we identify with these people, but they are also speaking in the name of Islam as opposed to the others, you know, who want to use Islam and impose Sharia values. So there's a clear demarcation. It is as strong and clear demarcation as salt water and fresh water meeting. And if you cannot see that demarcation, then there is a problem in your understanding. Well, clearly, and that's what we're here to do, is to, is to straighten up our understanding. But that and I'm still <laughs> struggling, if you don't mind me using that word, yeah. <laughs> um, with... with uh, we, uh, oh, we have a guest now, don't we? Maybe. Yes, uh, Bob, I'd like to introduce yeah. a new guest who's just called us from the United States, and it's Lars Hedegaard. And Lars Hedegaard, of course, is... Um, uh, the co-editor of Dispatch International and has made the news just recently because of an assassination attempt on his life. Hello, Lars, you there? Uh, no, but it's Paul Lambert in Sweden, but I'll talk to you. Oh, tonight. it's Paul Lambert in Sweden. Oh, Paul. <laughs> Hello, Paul. I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, Paul. No, uh, Big Lars is still getting over his experience. Uh, well, we're expecting a call uh, from him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'll make it quick. I'm just listening to this, this confusion going on. I'd, I'd like to ask Salim uh, one question. Uh, with respect and in all seriousness, did he ever consider perhaps that deep down in his own heart he really is not a Muslim, that perhaps this idea of a peaceful Muslim is just, should be in the same category as, you know, there are Catholics who practice birth control and there are Jews that will eat pork that may very well uh, call yourself Muslim and belong to that culture and that may very well 
be a peaceful man, but you need to recognize that that's a departure from the orthodoxy. It's not just another aspect of the same thing. And I wonder if you'd comment on that. Did you get that, Salim? Is this Lars? No, 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 that, no this, that, is, that was this just is a call. Paul, a call, uh, Paul. caller who's asking you whether or not um, you can reconcile yourself as a Muslim um, and not follow all the tenets of uh, Islam. And thanks for the call, uh, call, Paul. We have let you go there. Yeah, sure yeah. I, I have no problem with that. I think it is the problem with the others, like yourself, who says, you know, who have a sort of a metric that you have bought into or you have been taught about what is Islam and therefore if somebody doesn't fill that metric according to the standard that has been given to you cannot therefore be a Muslim. I, I, I don't see that. I don't accept the metrics and I, I say yes, you know. Uh, my understanding of Islam is according to the way I look at it. Okay. Hello, Peter. Oh, hey, you made it. Hey, guys, this is Mahmood. Mahmood, this is Brian, Quagmire, and Joe. Hello. Hi there. Hey there. Hello, how are you? Have a seat. Any friend of Peter's is a friend of ours. Hey, Mahmood, you know, I'm actually glad you're here. Settle an argument we were having earlier. Which Spanish chick has better jugs, Salma Hayek or the other one? Oh, but I do not pay attention to such things. I am married. What? Hey, you guys, come on. Let's get the man a drink. What are you having? How about the ginger ale? But if you'll excuse me, right now I have to go bring great shame to myself by using the restroom. Isn't he great? Oh, he's weird. Why do you order a ginger ale? And who the hell doesn't look at jugs? Yeah, and he's got a cell phone clipped to his belt like he's some kind of big shot on vacation. Oh, I see what's going on. You guys are uncomfortable with Mahmood because he's Muslim. What? What are you talking about? This is your post-9-11 racism talking. I, for one, think it's great that Peter has enough of an open mind to have a Muslim friend. You know, a lot of dogs just sit outside, tied to poles. Uh, now, on the other line, we do indeed have Lars Hedegaard. Okay. And uh, Lars, hello, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Oh, yeah. good. Okay. Yes, well, thank you for joining us. I was just introducing you as uh, <laughs> co-editor uh, co of Dispatch International, of course, your newspaper, and also a person who's recently been uh, had a bit of a trauma when you were attacked uh, at your home by a would-be assassin. Uh, very quickly, I wonder if you couldn't uh, just give us a recap, uh, not a recap, because we went over this before on the show, <laughs> but just a yeah. progress report. Have they found this culprit? Uh, no, they haven't, unfortunately. Um, uh, it's now been uh, it was the 5th of February, it happened, and uh, so it's about a month and a half later. They haven't found him, no. Well, that's so I, distressing. I, I, I mean, uh, uh, yes, it is, but uh, I, I, they haven't given up, I'm sure. But, uh, but there's a lot of uh, evidence they have to go through, like uh, video uh, video films, etc., uh, all over. Uh, the part of time where I used to live. So I think they're still in relatively uh, good spirits, the police, that is. Mm -hmm. Oh, good. Good. I'm glad that they have, they have some leads to go on then. I, I, 
they have. I mean, I'm not in on it. Uh, they're not divulging uh, details oh, about the investigation to anyone, including me. I see. Well, Lars, we're joined in the studio today with Professor Salim Mansour, and we've been having a very uh, heated discussion on the topic of immigration at the beginning of the hour and Islam versus Islamism. You're uh, what I would call to be an expert on the effects of immigration of uh, Muslims into Western society. And I wonder if you couldn't give us your perspective, your experience of what's going over on in Denmark, your country, with the uh, an influx of of uh, a huge population of uh, people who do not share the same values as other Westerners. Can you, can you talk, about, talk about that? Yes, I can. We have about uh, somewhere between 4 and 5% of the, of the total population of Denmark, which is 5.5 million. About 4 to 5% will be uh, Muslim. And to a large degree, they are not integrated into uh, society. And the uh, unfortunate thing is that they seem to become, on average, that is, less and less integrated uh, the longer they've stayed. I mean, the first generation of immigrants uh, was more integrated than the second, and, and the second more than the third, on average. I mean, I'm not talking about every single Muslim in the country. No. Uh, some of them, of course, integrate wonderfully. Uh, others not. But I would say that if you want to, to take the group sociologically, uh, you would have to say that uh, integration has failed and failed miserably. Uh, Salim is, is nodding his head in agreement here with you. Of course, he wrote the oh, book hi, on... Salim. Hello, yeah. Lars. It's delightful to hi. be with you. And of course, yeah, Salim has here. written the book on multiculturalism and its failures, uh, something that... I know, I know, I read it. Yeah, yes. I read the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're just basically reiterating what he's saying, is that multiculturalism is failing over there, primarily, primarily due to the fact that people do not want to integrate. And it just takes a small percentage. As you're saying, there's 45%, 4 to 5% percent of uh, the population of Denmark is Muslim, and uh, only a smaller percentage of those as well are what I would call Sharia lovers, are trying to impose their religion and their laws on everybody else, and yet look at the dis the upheaval that can be caused by such a small number percentage of people. Would you agree? Yeah, but you see, the thing is that... <coughs> sorry, it doesn't take very many uh, men of violence or, or uh, strong men within the Muslim community to uh, enforce their will uh, on the others. Uh, we know in Denmark that, that there are patrols uh, of, of uh, very hard believers who will walk around in, in uh, Muslim parts of town and, and, and see to it that uh, women wear the hijab, for example. And, and so there's uh, an internal pressure within uh, the Muslim community not to integrate because that makes you a bad Muslim. What can we do we about that? We can enforce uh, we can enforce our cultural values mm -hmm. and tell people that when you come to Denmark, you sign a contract, uh, whether or not it's uh, explicit or implicit. You sign a contract to the effect that you come to this country to become a part of the Danish population. You want to become a part of this country. Uh, otherwise, we have no need for you. We have no need for parallel societies, and and we have simply not been enforcing that. No, quite I the contrary. Mm -hmm. We have, uh, we, have, uh, we have succumbed to every single cultural demand made by self-appointed spokesmen for uh, the Muslim community. Not a, they haven't been elected to anything. They simply set themselves up 
as the arbiters of, of, of the Muslim will. Now, I was just reading, I think it was in Dispatch International, the story of a um, an immigration bureaucrat. Um, correct me uh, about the country here. Was it in Denmark or, or Norway or Sweden uh, that this bureaucrat... Uh, it was in, it was in uh, Sweden. In Sweden, yeah. yes. Now, this bureaucrat, I think, was originally from the Middle East, Lebanon, if I'm not mistaken. And what he ended up doing was allowing a lot of people to jump the queue, so to speak, and, and by the hundreds, apparently, and to give yeah. them passport stickers, as it were. Um, he's been routed out, um, but surely this is a, a prevalent... Uh, situation where you get immigrants like himself into positions of power in the bureaucracy to allow more um, people in than uh, a society can tolerate. Yes, and 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 of course the uh, the uh, the impetus behind this originally would have been a good one. You 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 want to, to treat people nicely mm-hmm. come to your country. Uh, but just assuming that because somebody has a, a, a brownish shade of skin than you, or that doesn't that doesn't speak Danish or Swedish, that that would make them uh, inferior or in need of special help, that's ridiculous. It's, it's sort of reverse racism. Um, we have to treat people like grown-ups, wherever they come from. And if they want to come to our country, we have to make the same demands on them. There's another example of, uh, that we recently exposed in Dispatch International of a um, um, uh, imam, a prison imam in, in the town of Malmö, who's not only he's not only the imam, he talks he talks to to uh, to to the prisoners. He's also one of the judges. So he <laughs> he is a judge a in judge? cases where he himself has been treating the the criminals. I mean. It's ridiculous that such a thing could take place, but it does. Now, your Dispatch International is, is perhaps the only, and I would go out on a limb here and say the only paper in Western Europe which would expose situations like this, mainly because I think that you and your other uh, journalists and co-editor Ingrid Karlqvist have overcome the supposed guilt of being a Westerner and are able to, to, to report on things like this, while you, your colleagues in the other newspapers seem to just ignore it. Would you agree on that? I would say perhaps you exaggerate a little bit, but we are certainly <laughs> the modest. only one, in, so we're certainly the only one in Sweden uh, that will uh, tell the truth, or even, even discuss uh, these matters. But I think your analysis is right. Uh, Ingrid and I, we are simply not ashamed of being Westerns, we're not ashamed of being white. Uh, we are not ashamed of having been born in, 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 in... I was born in Denmark and she was born in Sweden. Mm-hmm. We're not ashamed of that. We don't think that it's our fault that uh, parts of the third world are underdeveloped. I never exploited anyone there, nor have I had slaves in my, in my, owned by my family. So, so we are kind of proud of being what we are, and why not? Perhaps that's a good place for us in the West to start, is, that, uh, is to identify uh, the values that we have and to promote them and then and not feel guilty about them so that we don't have to bend over backwards to destroy our own society uh, to include others. Lars, I think we're going to have to leave it there. Unfortunately, we're up against the hour. Uh, I do appreciate you calling in. Uh, thank you very much, and perhaps we can talk again later. Okay, thank you, and, and, and hi, Salim, and uh, take care, <laughs> my friend. Okay. okay. Take and, care. And thank you again, Salim Ansour, for joining us in studio. Fascinating discussion. Thanks again.
And, uh, boy, I'll tell you, we're up against the clock again, and um, thank you for coming in as you were struggling with your cold on top of all the other struggles you had today, Aisling. <laughs> and I think we've just done part one of a discussion here. I don't think we've just scratch, even scratched the surface of it. Mm. But uh, thanks for joining us, and we know we're going to have you back again to have part two. <laughs> for now, we've got to go for another week, and we hope you'll join us again next week when we continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, and be right back here. We'll see you. Color it to black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright Well, if they make a modern version of the Old Testament Then they'll just have to change that bit about the Egyptians beating the Israelites <laughs>